isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Yeah, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to find out what it is. I have some. I have a feeling it has something to do with Vaughn's one big regret. Good morning, Vaughn. Good morning, Simi. It takes something to knock the village people off my playlist. It really I'll does. Tell you that. <laughs> okay, so we're talking this morning about regrets, concerts that we should have gone to, and then something happened. Maybe somebody died, the band broke up, and we never got to see them. What's yours? It's the Grateful Dead. I mean, oh. I don't want to. I don't want to sound ungrateful <laughs> to the listener because I was a music critic, and uh, you know, I've seen some fantastic shows over the years. Dylan with the band and Elton John fifty years ago, and Springsteen when he was still doing small halls. But uh, the Grateful Dead. So the Dead did not come to British Columbia all that often, although they did play in Vancouver in nineteen seventy three or four. But they did a regular stand in Tacoma and in Eugene, Oregon, that were legendary even when I was uh, in the music uh, industry writing about music. So there were opportunities, but uh, I never saw them. Um, I really, really started listening to the dead a lot. I'm a serious deadhead now. After Jerry Garcia died and... You know, one thing you learn about the dead listening to them live is that they're, they were a very different band live than they were on record. Their, their records never really captured it. But uh, happily, the dead saved everything. There are something like 3,000 Grateful Dead shows that are saved on tape and available either online or on disc, as I have them, uh, so you can enjoy them, and I do but it's a great regret that, you know, when I when I had the chance, I never made the journey, the pilgrimage to, you know, they'd do five shows in Eugene, Oregon, and I never did one of those. <laughs> but that, that's the thing, though, Vaughn. I think everybody has one of these, and you don't know, right? You just don't oh, know yeah. when to take that plunge. Yeah. Now, of course... I think we do know now they're all getting really old. Oh, the Jaggerhead is 80th, 80th birthday. 80th birthday, yes. And then, you know, I, I've heard from people that have seen the Stones in the last couple of years. They're still pretty astonishing. Uh, bands that break up, however, and don't come back for one reason or another, and some of whom don't survive, you're, you're missing something. And uh, the yeah. chances are still there. Happily, the pandemic seems to have alerted every music artist still living in the world that time is running out, royalties are running out, and you better get out on the road and have that last farewell tour because you may not be here for the next one. So uh, it used to be a joke when artists would announce a farewell tour, but we are fortunate to be living in a time when there's an awful lot of artists out there making up for the fact that they missed three or four years of revenue and they're out touring, so there's a wealth of shows available right now. Well, that's true, because also that's the way they make money now. Yeah, they, they have to get out too. there. You know, that's a good point. It, it 
when I was uh, reviewing music and going to shows, uh, the tickets weren't that expensive because the shows were kind of seen as wetting your appetite for the album. So they were almost lost leaders. Uh, artists didn't try to make a huge amount of money on tour. They make some money on T-shirts and stuff like that. But the big revenue was selling records and later CDs. Nowadays, the economics are reversed. The reason you're making, you're paying so much for tickets is because that's the cash flow yes. for the artist. And people are clearly willing to pay, right? I yep. mean, they will shell out any amount of money to go and see like Taylor Swift in Seattle last weekend. Yeah, no, that's that's true, and uh, I mean, I, I <laughs> you've presumably been following the grumbling about Bruce Springsteen. So Springsteen kind of frames himself as a working class kind of performer, and he does have legitimate roots and everything. He's charging a staggering amount for tickets to this year's tour, and he said, "Well, you know, people are making money off reselling oh, our exactly. tickets." So yeah, and by the way, there's one thing I did discover: is YouTube is astonishing these days. People are posting the show on YouTube within a few days of the performance. So, okay, you know, I don't understand. I, do my, uh, I don't understand that because when I did go well, to that Eagles concert and they wanted yeah. no cameras, no whatever, but the yeah. guy in front of us recorded the whole thing, and I thought he's not even enjoying the show. All he's well, doing is recording the show. you know, one the of show. the great things about the Grateful Dead is they used to have a taper section in their shows. They that would allow you to plug straight into the soundboard and tape the show, and that was because the Dead gave a different show every time they performed, and they didn't care. They allowed their fans to tape them in high-quality feeds off the soundboard. That's amazing. Well, I know we've talked all this stuff about music yeah, yeah, and concerts. Yeah. we got to talk some politics stuff. It's and yet, Friday. We couldn't completely go without that on a Friday. We're talking with Vaughn Palmer now about BC Ferries. We've been talking about it all week. And Vaughn, just when you think you might be able to stop, you can't. Yeah, you know, I was thinking you've taken a couple of hard runs at BC Ferries this week, and I do have a long relationship with the ferry service. My dad worked for BC Ferries. That's why we moved to British Columbia 40 years ago, or longer than that, actually, more than 50 years ago now. And uh, and I worked on ferries myself, So, and I lived on the island, so you are you have a relationship with them. And I have taken a couple of runs at them, and then... <laughs> And then I see yesterday, first of all, that ferries, the website is still posting like a nine multi-sailing weight, and, and the website has this note at the top telling you don't necessarily believe this that may not be true and i'm going who does that with their website like like uh, attention customers this may be a tissue of lies which it was again and then i catch what happened with global tv um Kristen Robinson, last evening, she's doing a story on the controversy over the drop trailer business on ferries, and it's hard to get anybody in ferries to talk about anything, so she has an inspiration. She phones up Joy McPhail, chair of the board of BC Ferries, right, Uh, front and center when they have good news to announce, and McPhail hangs up on her. Oof. Like, (laughs) this is... You know, they they can try to pretend Ferries is a private corporation, but there's no question who pays the bills and controls it. And McPhail, as board chair, the pay there is uh, in the range of $150,000 a year. And I'm going, you're not even going to take a question from the news media because the BC Ferries comms phones up Kristen and says, um, nah, McPhail's not doing interviews. So I, I just go like... 
man, oh man, for a company that is um, front and center, front and center, first of all, to the NDP in BC, virtually every community on the coast and on Vancouver Island that is served by BC Ferries elects a new Democrat and has an NDP MLA and in some cases an NDP cabinet minister. But just try to get one of them to talk about the troubles on BC Ferries these days and don't be surprised if they won't return your call. Which is so ridiculous because what are they on? I'm sure there's people on vacation, but you would think to use a you know boat metaphor, they all should be all hands on deck right now, given all the problems that they're having. It's the peak of business for BC Ferries, and when your business is in its busiest season, recovering tourism, central to the economy of the island. There should be some people, other than communications people who do try to do their job, there should be a CEO or a cabinet minister or a board chair or all three available to handle the news media, to go to the ferry terminals and do a stand-up and talk about what's going on. And that isn't happening. There's nobody there who I think central highly placed feels Mm -hmm. that they need to account to the public, to their own voters in the case of a politician. You know, I was struck by the fact that Jill Bennett yesterday had the former NDP MLA, now mayor of Nanaimo, Leonard Krogh on the air, and he was saying what you'd expect a New Democrat to say if they were telling the truth, which is, it's incredibly frustrating, it is difficult to get a decent explanation, and he doesn't understand why they haven't turned things around at ferries yet. Right, let's talk about that staff shortage aspect of this, because we spoke with the Canadian Ferry Association who said this is a, a recruitment's a problem right across the country because of maritime training regulations, but also the way they do things at BC Ferries is part of the problem. Yeah, so, you know, I talked on the radio this week about how ferries used to be seen as a great job when I was growing up in Nanaimo. A lot of people that I went to school with saw it that way, and ferries paid well, and the benefits were good. I did it as a summer job. I got an interesting note from somebody who said, you know, um, what you need to know is the problem with this image that ferries have. The pay is good, and they're negotiating an improvement in the pay, The benefits are good, but he said there's a huge problem in the ferry service with the number of casual workers. So this fellow said he got a job on the ferries, but he ended up being casual, and he never got enough shifts regularly to pay the bills and treat it like a full-time income, and he finally quit because he just didn't see any way to get to the level that's there on paper. And I must admit, when I heard him, uh, I went, I don't really know enough about this problem out there. But it sounds like a real one. I'm sure the ferry workers have some insights into it. But, okay, it's a seasonal business, so a seasonal business needs casual workers. But is the ferry corporation really recognizing the degree to which its own staffing system is creating the problem of... If you're a casual worker, Sammy, and you're feeling sick, you don't show up for work, right? One of the big problems. You said it, though, is that there's a a very long time we we assume BC Ferries was a great job to have. It was a coveted job to have, and I think they treated it like that. That you 
everybody wants to work here. Therefore we have, we can pick and choose and we can keep you on call and you're still going to do that because, you know, the reward is a job with BC Ferries, but that's changed now. And perhaps they just aren't dealing with the new reality. That that's true. This fellow who sent the note to me, uh, I also heard a note yesterday from somebody who lives on Gabriola Island. And he said, you know, they made a big deal. They've given us two ferries now and they're new and they're in service. But he said, regular cancellations of the service between Nanaimo and Gabriola Island because somebody didn't show up for work. Transport Canada rules are rigid. The ship can't sail. And he says this happens all the time. Well, again, if you're going to promote employee loyalty, making sure those employees have full-time good-paying jobs with benefits might be a way to cultivate it. Exactly. Vaughn, thank you for that. Bye-bye, Simi.